Hey everybody, welcome to The Asian Americans. Jerry here. Before we get started with our episode that features a very cool conversation that I had with child psychiatrist Dr. Jane Cho, I want to highlight another Asian American business that is doing really, really awesome things for our community, especially in this time of need, and it is none other than the Cosmos. Cosmos is a digital community created by our episode two guest, Cassandra Lam, and her partner, Karen Mock. They have a number of different things that I want to highlight they have an email newsletter called the Care Package, a weekly newsletter that is providing a lot of different resources and tools for people to get through these challenging times. They have a brand new podcast called A Place of Care, where Karen and Cassandra are talking about the issues that are impacting all of us. And this week and every week going forward, there are a number of different digital events to create a place where women can come together, share, and heal together in these uncertain times so that we are making sure that there is a place for self-care and for community. Check the Cosmos out at jointhecosmos.com or on Instagram at jointhecosmos. Sign up for the events, sign up for their newsletter, follow them on social media. They're doing really great work out there. So much thanks to Karen and Cassandra for all that you do. And if you'd like to hear Cassandra's story, check out her episode, which is episode number two that aired on March 3rd. So thanks again for listening. And here now is my conversation with Dr. Cho. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans, uh, where this week uh, we are talking to the helpers in our community. Given all that is going on in the world and here locally, wherever you may be, uh, the coronavirus is really changing the way we view the world and really changing the way we act as, as members of our community. Um, I am your host, Jerry Wan, and, and today I am really, really excited uh, to have Dr. Jane Cho on the show. Um, she's a board-certified child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I wanted to have her on the show to talk to us a little bit more about some of the um, unspoken topics in our community in general, like mental health, um, when, especially when it comes to um, whether you are the child in your current relationship with your parents or you are a parent and dealing with some of the mental health issues, because I think we can all agree that that is something that we haven't talked enough of and have not been um, as open about in our community. Welcome, Dr. Cho, to the show. Thank you. So I'm so honored to be here today. Um, I really love uh, your podcast. I've been listening since it's started, and I'm just so happy to be uh, on it myself. That's a fun fact. So I found Dr. Cho because she followed us on Instagram, and I said, oh my God, you're a child psychiatrist. Can you come on the show and talk about mental health within the Asian American community. And she said, not only am I a child psychiatrist, that's my actual passion. So I, I don't believe it's serendipity. I, I think it's all happens for a reason. So Dr. Cho, share with us sort of your adolescent years, your um, where you grew up, where you studied, um, what motivated you uh, to pick, you know, going to med school. Also take it upon yourself to make studying uh, the Asian American um, children and adolescents, part of your, your your passion and your studies? I was born and raised in Korea, um, and I uh, moved to the United States when I was 14 for high school. So I'm kind of the quintessential Yuaxing, <laughs> or um, the, nowadays there's a term for us called parachute, parachute children because the parents... Um, you know, right on the plane and they dropped the children. Um, so that's how I ended up in boarding school in Michigan for uh, high school. 
so from there, I, uh, so my parents stayed in Korea. Um, and from there, I've developed um, really good um, interest in biology and had my mindset going to go to medical school and ended up going to Georgetown for uh, college and medical school. And uh, I actually had no interest in being a psychiatrist, really didn't didn't think that's ever going to happen. I was actually very gung-ho uh, surgery, and I was very interested in surgery from the very get-go. So um, after medical school, I act- matched in surgical residency in Philadelphia and um, actually really liked being in the operating room. But long story short, I, uh, I ended up quitting general surgery residency after two and a half years. Um, usually the surgery residency is five years old, so I was almost halfway done. Um, the short version of why, uh, why I quit, um, I actually lost about 25 pounds, um, and was losing hair. Um, so basically stress, um, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was very stressed, but also just, um, unaware of mental health. Basically, uh, I, one day I just woke up and said, this is not the way that I can live with um, life like this, I, I don't think I can go on. And I ended up, um, calling my program director on a Saturday morning. She answered her phone, which is miraculous too. Um, and so I'm just, I'm done. And, um, she got me out of the residency in two weeks. So, yeah. (laughs) So, um, that was like 10 years ago. Um, so after, you know, going through school, uh, school and school and school after um, directly um, for the first time, I didn't have any direction. I didn't know what to do. Um, I ended up going home to Korea. And this is a funny story because I ended up in uh, airplane landing uh, on January 1st of 2010. Um, and so I was jobless, homeless, directionless. And, and also realized on the airplane that I was turning 30 that day. <laughs> in <Korean age. laughs> um, so it was a really low point. <laughs> um, so I actually didn't want to go, uh, go back to medicine for a long time. So I ended up doing like all kinds of like very random jobs. Like um, I was in New York for a little bit, um, was in, uh, working as a cashier for a chocolate shop, um, this and that, um, just kind of trying to figure things out. Uh, I ended up going back to Korea and by chance, uh, I ended up being an SAT tutor (laughs) uh, in Korea, not because I like SATs, but because I, um, it paid really well. (laughs) Um, So I uh, ended up taking a pretty serious job um, uh, doing a lot of tutoring for kids who actually, like myself, who are Yuwaksang um, and were home for vacations and they they were going to hug ones. And um, during that process is when I realized I actually really like working with teens, not just teaching, mm-hmm. but um, kind of like going over their uh, struggles and how to help them and listening to them. And, um, I really connected very well with them. And so, um, that's how I ended up kind of regaining my, um, motivation. Uh, I had to reapply all over again, restarted my training in psychiatry with, um, intention of going into child and adolescent psychiatry. So that's how I ended up in child psychiatry. But that's, I mean, one, wow. Um, 
because you, you did it twice, right? So yeah, I was really old. <laughs> my, my father was similar. Um, he was a physician in Korea, then uh, decided to move here. And so he had to take the boards and mm -hmm, all that mm -hmm. stuff again and did residency uh, again um, mm -hmm. in his 40s while we were in high school. So, um, you know, it's not easy. Um, it's physically demanding and emotionally, mentally draining. Um, so, I mean, you, you did not give up. You just pivoted and, and uh, found something that meant more to you. So I, I think that's super awesome. You know, where, where I want to go next with this conversation is in, in your early years, as you started to talk to adolescents, um, young folks, and, you know, with the particular, I guess, uh, lean towards fellow Asian Americans, um, what were some of the things that you were seeing in your conversations from the community that you were surprised by and, and maybe you were not surprised by? In terms of the topics that the, um, that uh, we were talking about, I think was that none of them were surprising per se, uh, because I actually really liked talking about it because I went through the similar topics of struggle um, through my young adulthood and high school and young adulthood. And um, so the things are, you know, family pressure, <laughs> um, uh, feelings of guilt, um, you know, honoring the parents' wishes, um, not losing face, um, you know, doing well um, to um, meet the expectations. Those are the things that were really, really, really big on the minds of these young kids. And then as I ended up treating a lot of the Asian American children, um, because there aren't that many Asian American child psychiatrists anywhere, a, a lot of the family conflicts, um, generational gap uh, that uh, really drifts uh, both parents and children from each other. All of those things, uh, the big topics that really I identified with. Um, so I, my big interest is what we call cultural psychiatry, basically, um, and immigrant families. Um, of course, all immigrant families have uh, difficulties, but I think for Asian Americans, there's very particular uh, ways and reasons why it really weighs kids down. And those are the things that I do work to see if I can help each and every family that I meet, but also in a bigger scale as well. Thank you for doing that. I obviously, I am an immigrant kid myself. I think as we grow up in America or wherever you may be, you start talking to people and you get this sudden sense that you just are not understood, right? And I think mm -hmm. particularly within the psychiatry world, the therapy world, where you still don't see a lot of people that look like me and you, I think, you know, the, the lack of understanding of the origin story and the cultural nuances and things that are just things that we almost feel like we are born with, the way our parents react to things or what their expectations are. Um, I, I think having that base level covered so you don't have to explain to somebody why you are feeling something, I, I think is one of the most under-talked about things when it comes to mental health. So first, I, I, want, I want to thank you for, for doing the work that you've decided to do. I mean, even just thinking now about what you may, must have gone through and how much stress you were under to quit what was supposed to be the best thing that you were supposed to do, right? In, in getting a surgery residency, which is 
you know, what everybody or every doctor aspires to do from a prestige and whatever perspective. I don't know how to frame this, but I think one of, we, we are going through a lot right now mm-hmm. as, as a world, as a lot of parts of the country are being actually you know, forced or being highly urged to stay home. And this has happened very quickly. Even 10 days ago, even a week ago, we saw it, or many people saw it as not our problem yet. The response from a collective community perspective has been mixed with alarm bells from certain members of our community. Um, regardless of generation number or age or profession, I think different people came to understand the urgency of what was about to happen very, very differently. In, in particular, I think in certain pockets of immigrant communities, their urgency was not there, particularly maybe I'll call our, our parents' generation. And so many of us had to have conversations with our, with our parents and, and still feeling that we're not being heard because of some of the, the cultural norms or expectations that exist. Um, given our, you know, Asian cultural norms. Um, what, what are some things that you can share with me and, and with our audience to, I, I guess it's twofold. One, you know, practical tips on how to have difficult conversations with people who, who value knowledge and wisdom based on age more than anything else. And two, just how to process all that when you know you're right or you feel right, you're right, but the frustration is, is building. And I'm not, I guess, I'll caveat that it's not just our parents or, or those uh, of a different generation. There are friends amongst us who are in our peer group uh, who have taken a little bit longer to get the message that this is as serious as uh, we needed to take. COVID-19 has been a big um, eye-opener for a lot of us, I think, and uh, and for me, I think, um, because in many different layers, I think there's a lot of um, fear. I do uh, get a lot of uh, scary stories from my physician colleagues who are in the front line. I'm a child psychiatrist. I'm not on, uh, in the front lines, but I do have friends who are in the emergency rooms and um, hospitals. And so that's been very scary. And to see some of the other people um, who are not taking this very seriously and not um, taking social distancing uh, as something that uh, they need to do. Um, and it's very frustrating. Another layer is you, you're talking about is about with your parents, right? Um, and th- I think this um, brings on multiple layers too, because not because of Corona, just Corona, but I think this is a pattern that uh, maybe uh, you might have faced all your life where you are talking to them, but maybe you feel like they're talking at you and not listening to you. Um, you know, a lot of the immigrant families, um, because of the generation gap, but also cultural gap and some language gaps too, um, I, ha- I have encountered that parents will talk at the children, but they don't really talk with the children. And as a child, uh, you can feel this kind of helplessness that you you don't feel like you're being heard and you're not being understood and your fears or anxiety or your feelings are not being validated. And with something so scary like Corona, especially, uh, you know, when you have an elderly parent, um, you worry about them and you're telling them about what to do so that they can protect themselves 
uh, from it and they're not listening, it can be very traumatic in, in a lot of ways and can bring up a lot of feelings that you felt even when you were children. Um, so it's a it's a big, um, difficult topic. But I think in general, I would take an approach that I uh, take with my patients' parents. So I, uh, I have uh, a lot of experience working with Asian American kids and teens um, when they come into my mental health clinic and their parents who have similar, you know, attitude or similar opinions about their ch- children's mental well-being. And I think that one of the things that I do that might some not all the time, but sometimes can change their mind is not talk about not talking about statistics or numbers or uh, what it can do. Because I think they all know that already. They just don't want to hear it. But what you can do is you can, you know, talk to them and talk about their love for your child, right? So my example is when the child is deeply depressed, um, I talk about how much the parents really do care for their child. And this is one of the ways supporting them through their illness can be very, very helpful important for for you as a parent to be there for your child and um, how that is so impactful for your child. So in some ways, I think uh, you kind of change it around so, so that um, your conversation is about your parents' love for you. You know, you don't, you can't say, well, mom and dad, you can't leave. Uh, you can't go to church because, you know, you're going to die. But what you can say is, I'm really afraid that this might really make you sick. And I, I really don't want to lose my parents. And I think that that's the way that you have to kind of uh, convince your parents that this is going to be really affecting you, their child, and that might be helpful for them. Thank you for sharing that. I think given the urgency of the public health pending crisis or already existent pending crisis or existing crisis, rather, um, that I think is an approach that many of our listeners have or uh, need to take and then to plead with them from an emotional perspective of this comes from a place of love and care, not that we don't want you to go to the market or run your own errands. When we're not in these potentially life-altering situations where the stakes don't seem as bad yet. There are a lot in the community who have been dealing with mental health concerns and suppression of emotions and not being able to fully express certain things uh, because of just the circumstances of the immigrant experience of um, survival first and lack of understanding of the cultural and generational context. I know that's a lot. Um, but my, my, my question, I guess, or, you know, ask of you is, you know, what are the, some, what are some things that we can practice on a continual basis so that we are working on mental health, self-care for ourselves continually so that when it comes to these situations, and again, not necessarily telling our parents, we love them, so please don't go out. You know, I, I find in my peers a lot that we just are not used to expressing emotions as openly as some of our non-Asian, non-immigrant friends. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's an interesting um, you know, topic because, because you're right. We're not, we have, we've never really had a role model, right. To, to see that the, the expression of love is through uh, verbal and physical um, actions. As a parent myself, um, I think 
it's important for me to kind of think about that and my relationship with my parents, right? And then kind of reflect that and say, well, what kind of relationship do I want with my child, right? And do I do those things? Do I tell my child I'm uh, I love you? Um, do I hug my child and you know give them kisses? And at least for our generation, we have that capacity to know that that is the way that other people know how I feel, right? I think the generation above us, especially our parents, uh, didn't have luxury of kind of having that verbal expression shown to them or knowing that that's actually the way that we express things. That's not the way they were raised. Doesn't mean that they don't like it. I think I think it's important that if you do want to have that kind of relationship with your parents, then you 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 do have to initiate it, and it's very 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 awkward initially. But I think <laughs> I think once you start doing it, I think it's very helpful. You know, one of the um, something that I saw uh, there's a co- compilation of a video um, that one of the centers that I work with had done. It was a video of college kids, Asian American college kids. And they call, each of them call their parent and say, I love you on the phone. And it was so amazing to see what the parent does after the child says, I love you. Um, There's a little pause as expected, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) but all of them say back, I love you to their child. In English, wow. in Chinese, and Korean, you know, what, whatever the language they're using, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't have the words to do it. They don't have the initiative to do it because it is awkward. But when you do initiate that, I think it becomes a norm. Then they're able to do that too. And yes, it is hard because, you know, you're like, well, you know, they're the parent and I'm the child and that's, they should start. But I think Apart from thinking about that kind of relationship, what relationship you want to have, do you want to have with your parents from now on? And you have to put your foot forward and say, well, I'm going to make that brave step first, right? And that can make a big difference. And in the same vein, I think there something that I've you know learned um, as, as a parent myself and, and certainly as I've grown up is... Also understanding that having empathy and trying to understand how they grew up in what context and how that informs their definition of affection and love. Because I I think in our closer to home Korean context, it was occupation, it was war, it was poverty. You know, in my Vietnamese friends context, it's war and then refugee status. And everybody has a different way of how they got here. You know, for for me, it, it took me a much longer than I would have, you know, enjoyed, I guess, to really understand that, not that we have to cut them some slack, but it's worth thinking about from where they get their definitions, right? So we often talk about our mothers, particularly using food as a love language rather than words, using food as apology, <laughs> you know, of just about anything and just simply asking, hey, have you eaten yet? And then that sort of is the universal thing that emotes everything. And and so I, I do think that, you know, while it, I, I don't know, I, I think it's somewhere in the middle, uh, at least from my experience of understanding how they, you know, view things. 
I think that's really important point. And I think this is why your podcast is so um, helpful because um, when you do uh, hear individuals' history and story, I think that's when you have a better understanding of where they come from, right? And mm-hmm. and so, and that's where um, you can understand that maybe that they, um, the way that they portray things doesn't mean that they're trying to hurt myself, right? Hurt me. It's right. just their way of limitation and way of expressing things. And I think, I think that's what, that's very important, not just in, you know, parent child relationship. Yes, it is for definitely for immigrant families, because there's such a gap. And a lot of the kids don't necessarily know their parents story, right? Especially because parents are so busy. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it shows even in bigger scale, like talking about racism, I think when you get to know a person of different ethnicity, in a personal level, right to know about their story they're no longer just like a person of an ethnicity it's a person in my life right right because i know their story and that really breaks down the walls and breaks down preconceived notions about people and i think that's that's why i'm so drawn into psychiatry because by nature i have to listen to people's story and that makes my life fuller in in ways. I, I think this conversation has been extremely enlightening and um, heartening. One of the side effects or silver linings of all that's happened is, I think, a return to humanity uh, mm-hmm. on a global scale of a lot of us accepting that the things that we thought were super important and non-negotiable just a short time ago, all of a sudden don't seem so important anymore. I think the outpouring of emotion towards our parents, um, however it has been expressed, you know, in, in thoughtfulness or sometimes in just emotional anger is because we care about them. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and so I, I, I you know, there, there's so much bad and just negativity in the world um, with the racism and with the virus and everything. I, I am eternally hopeful that, for, for many families out there, and, uh, you know, at least if you are a parent of teenagers or adolescents, holy crap, you're stuck at home with them, right? Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're sequestering together. Uh, you're in isolation together. So I, I do think that, you know, looking back at this time period, I, I do hope that this is a time where families can have dialogue that they otherwise don't or couldn't. You're sort of stuck, right? Mom and dad can't go to work and, you know, blow off the kids. Um, teenagers can't say, you know, I hate you. I'm going to go hang out with my friends and, and walk out the door because, mm-hmm. you know, we are. And then there's only so much staying in my room and, you know, being on my devices can do. Share with us your top one, two, three tips for that environment of let's talk to the parents first of how do you make the best out of the, the current situation where, you know, you want to make the most out of this potentially once in a lifetime opportunity to be stuck at home with your kids. And if your kids are in college, this might be the last time because if they graduate and they move, you're not going to get this back with them. The number one thing that I would say is to be brave. 
brave enough to share how you really feel. Share your fears, share your love, share your hopes for your children and your parents and your family and your loved ones, because that's where it starts. And you can make that first step for your parents so they can hold your hands. You can make that first step for your children and your teenage children because you're modeling that for them. And you can do that for your children, your friends and loved ones, because then you are making that step for yourself too. And what about top advice for high school, college students who are dreading being stuck at home with their parents and feeling extra frustrated because they don't have a physical outlet of separation? Well, the concrete answer would be FaceTime with friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> lock yourself in. <laughs> um, but I, I think it, it is a good time to actually think about, you know, when you go back to your childhood and you, what did you really enjoy with your parents and kind of get, this is your chance to get to know your parents, right? So yes, it can be a little difficult and yes, it can be irritating, but maybe you can share a show with them and start from there. It doesn't have to be anything big about, you know, like you don't have to have a discussion about world love and racism. You can have a discussion about, you know, how good looking some actor is and that you know, just meeting at the lowest point and starting there and, you know, take your time because I think you're going to have a lot of time at home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, it's as a joke or out of uh, jest, we're seeing a lot of our parent friends, particularly of, you know, uh, kids that are a little bit older, just, oh, my God, this is insanity. How do you homeschool, work from mm-hmm. home and deal with their attitude all day and all night? And, you know, we're for, for the most parts of the country, we're still just in week one of we don't know how long it's going to go and you know some states have school or canceled school you know for the rest of the school year so you're talking at least for three months you're right i think this if not now on both sides whether you're the parent or the child just be brave and blame it on the social isolation right blame it on the fact that you guys are stuck at home and maybe it starts with hey we're stuck at home anyway so why don't we sit down you know and, and talk or you know i've always wanted to ask you and we never get a chance to talk so insert whatever I don't think we're ever going to get a time like this with the people you're stuck with right now. I would urge, I would ask if you are either parent or child listening to this, maybe we we create something that is, you know, makes it a little bit easier to take that bold step of starting conversation, you know, in, in light of all that's going on and in a lot of feeling frustrated, I do think that this can be such a great opportunity for healing and talking about things we never really get to talk about with our parents and with our children. And so even just, you know, having the last 30 minutes to talk to you, um, Dr. Cho, I think it's been an eye-opening insight for me to really make the most of uh, this golden opportunity. A lot of jokes about how many Netflix shows you can watch in a day and all that binge (laughs) stuff, which is fine because I think everybody needed a break just a forced pause, whether it was work or school or or something else. But you're right, you know, maybe watch that show with your parents and explain to them why you think it's funny or just suck it up and watch something that interests them and try to understand why. But, you know, there are a lot of difficult barriers within our community, whether it be cultural understanding, generational gap, and even 
language differences because some parents uh, didn't really, you know, they were so busy working and then trying to make it, you know, possible for the families to survive that a lot of children don't really speak their mother tongue as, as well as they'd like, or the parents haven't picked up English because life is life. Man, this has been kind of a, a good pause for me too. This week has been an emotionally challenging week uh, for me. And uh, so thank you. I, I feel like I just had a conversation with a psychiatrist and let the whole world in on it. Uh, <laughs> any final tidbits or, or tips that you'd like to share for our audience? Uh, as a true psychiatrist manner, I would like everybody to take some time for themselves and you know, manage your own anxiety about things. Take a break, even if it's just 10 minutes at a time, because I think managing your own anxiety is going to make everything else much but, uh, much less anxious too. I'm, I'm definitely doing that. Reach out if you need help, I think would be my yes. you know, contribution there. I, I think we're, we're at the, the tip, the precipice of this wave of us, the Asian American community, uh, saying it's about time we talk about mental health issues as healthcare, as a necessity. Uh, nonprofits, a lot of, you know, for-profit, a lot of folks out there really making the facilitation of these conversations more readily acceptable and certainly less of a stigma. So yeah, I mean, all of you, if you're listening to this closer to when it was uploaded, you got a lot of time. Uh, we all do. So Dr. Cho, I, I, I want to end the show in, in the same way that we end all of our shows. And it is to go back to the theme or the spirit of the name of the show, which is the Asian Americans, which um, I was inspired to create this conversation in the form of a love letter to us, from us in the community uh, to really say the things that maybe we wish we would have heard or things that you believe that we need to share with each other now. So if you would, um, I will start the letter and help us uh, finish out. Dear Asian Americans. This is the time that we should take care of yourselves, but also look after each other. And it is time for us to mobilize. We are the shakers and movers. Um, we just didn't know it. Um, and we are capable of making differences in our lives and other people's lives. And we would, I would love to see Asian Americans really work on mobilizing, making our voices heard uh, in both in our families, but also in our communities and in the bigger, uh, bigger sense of world. Thank you. I, I think, I mean, it's again, a very challenging time for many of us, um, frustrating, time, emotional time, scary time. And we haven't even talked about financial insecurity. It's, it's, you, you got to come back to talk about that, I guess, um, <laughs> in, in, in the light of what, what's, you know, pending for a lot of young folks. Um, I'm going to actively myself and I encourage all of you who are listening to really in, in the midst of all this uncertainty, focus on what you can control, which are the conversations that can happen within your four walls at a time where you really can't go out and blow your parents off or make an excuse to pretend to be busy. And, and for the parents, work has changed for a lot of us. Um, it's not as demanding. People are being a little bit more understanding. So prioritize, set aside some time, however it works for you within 
your family um, context, talk about things, open up, heal, cry, and, and let's rise from this together, I guess, as a community, but have it start at home because I think we all need it. So yeah, Dr. Cho, thanks again for, for investing time into sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for the work that you do within our Asian American community. Yeah, magical things happen on Instagram. If, if this is, <laughs> if, if this can be a testament to uh, your folks out there, one one quick practical tip to people who are trying to grow brands in Instagram: DM every single person that follows you, thank them, engage in conversation. This is how this episode happened, and um, a slight preview of how many other episodes that are being planned right now. Because, yeah, if people are coming to your page and engaging with your content, the easiest thing you can do is to spend 30 seconds to say thank you in a genuine way. So thank you again, Dr. Cho, for coming on the show. Um, I, I don't. I hope that brighter days are coming sooner than later. Forever gratitude for the work that you do and, and for you sharing your thoughts with us today. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me. All right, everybody, stay safe out there. Stay home. Tell your parents I love you. Surprise them. I don't know. Do something wild. Make the best of the situation that we have. I love you guys. I thank you guys for listening. Share this episode uh, with two friends if they need to hear it. Heck, share this episode with your parents if you think they need to hear it. And uh, reach out to me directly if you want to talk. And I will see you guys next time here on Dear Asian Americans.